Intrinsic motivation, that internal one, isn't only essential for feeling motivated to achieve something, it's actually also essential for creating stronger intentions and more sustained changes in behavior. And research shows that if we're doing something for someone else or for those external reasons, we're likely to not sustain them for very long. We will only do things for other people for so long and then afterwards we'll fall back into our habits compared to if we really want to do something for ourselves, we're going to be much more driven to do it. Welcome to the Eat, Live and Move podcast by Miyagi, a space where we bring you the latest science-backed conversations, expert insights and practical tips relating to all things health and wellness. Hello, I am Dr. Gina Cleo, your personal habit change expert. And I'm Dr. Ross Walker, a cardiologist and preventative health expert. Together, Ross and I have 60 plus years of collective experience, which is mostly thank you to Ross. And we are on a mission to help you to improve your health and transform your habits so that you can eat, live and move better one episode at a time without the fluff or the fads. Now, today's episode, we are deep diving into goals. Do they matter? How do we make them stick? And what does the science say? It's January, Ross, and this time of year, many of us are setting goals for the year ahead. Some people are looking to improve their health, their career, their relationships, their finances, mindset, or any other area of life. That's generally where I see people setting goals. But a lot of people tend to, I guess, approach the new year with a new mindset and motivation around goal setting. So we felt that this was a really great time to get a deeper understanding of why it's so important to set goals in a certain way that's, of course, backed by science. Now, a reminder to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this pod. Ross, before we start, I'd love to know, it's January, have you set any goals for this year? Uh, nothing nothing specific, but I always sit down and think about the, the sort of things I want to do in my work. Um, that in, in fact, as a physician... You have to do this thing called uh, continuing medical education every year, which many people do in many different fields. And now it's almost mandatory to have what they call a professional development plan. You've got to have um, a self-management program and you've got to go through all those things. So, so it's almost mandatory now in my job that you do these things and set goals for yourself. So, so yes, I have to some extent. Yeah, but, uh, cool. But it's the sort of thing that I do. I, it's just really maintenance of what I've been doing for years anyhow. Yeah. Do you enjoy doing that? Do you enjoy having that direction and something to focus on? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and we've spoken before on the podcast and I talk all the time about those five keys of being healthy, uh, just to quickly summarize for everyone because they're so important, from the least important to the most important. Number one, having no addictions. Number two, good quality sleep. Number three, good quality eating and less of it. Number four, three to five hours every week of moderate exertion and most importantly, happiness. So, and and I I try to focus on those things and make sure I set goals in those areas all the time, both subconsciously and consciously. Oh, I love that. So good. I actually dedicated a chapter in my new book, The Habit Revolution, to goals. Because here's the thing, most of us set goals, but how many of those goals are actually achieved and maintained? The majority of New Year's resolutions are forgotten by February and goals tend to be rolled over from one year to the next, not pointing at you, Ross, of course. But (laughs) I want to know really, you know, is there a point in setting goals? 
And when I did the research around this to write the chapter in my book, I found that the answer was a very clear yes, but it has to be done in a specific way. Because when we do goal setting effectively, goals can really act as a powerful motivator. They actually inspire us. They increase our focus and success. And we need goals to start a change. And without them, it's really easy to sort of feel lost or aimless or get stuck in just the the mundane rut of life or being unsure of what steps to take next. So I found that there are three basic principles of goal setting. Now, these are the really basic principles, and I'm going to deeper dive into not just these, but the goal, what I call goal essentials and goal pitfalls. The three essentials are setting a goal is better than not having a goal at all. And that can be for any area of life. So, so Ross, for you, you've told us that you've done a few goals around your work and your professional development. Love it. The second principle is a specific goal is better than having a broad goal. So instead of saying, oh, I'm going to get fit this year, you want to have a more specific goal. So it might be, I want to train four days a week. And it would be even better if you said, and those sessions are going to be 60 minutes each, and they're going to include this kind of whatever it might be, right? The third principle is a challenging yet attainable goal is better than an easy goal. You see, our brain goes into a state of under arousal. It's actually a state of boredom when our goals are too easy and our brain sort of procrastinates and it becomes like, oh yeah, I'll do that later because we're not challenged enough by our goals. So don't make them too easy, but we also don't want to make them too hard because if we make our goals too hard, our brain goes into over arousal and then that's a state of sympathetic nervous system when our brain's like, whoa, this is way too hard, fight or flight, and then we also procrastinate and we don't even want to attempt our goals. Mm. Yeah, and and look, I I think around all of this is that so many people live what I would call a directionless life. They they basically live from day to day. They can do a routine of living. They don't really change anything. And as Albert Einstein once said, there's nothing that's a more certain sign of insanity than to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. So I I think you've got to really sit down and and spend some time saying to yourself, what do I really want in my life? In all those areas, in your physical side, in your emotional side, in your mental side, in your spiritual side, and I'm not specifically talking about religion, but I think uh, having a spiritual focus means having a higher purpose in your life. I think it's, it's really important, as you say, to firstly set your goals, make them specific, but also don't make them easy as well. Make them a little bit challenging so you work towards them. I totally agree. Yeah, love it. You know, another really awesome bonus with goals is that they boost our experience of reward and that sense of accomplishment. Say, for example, you successfully achieved a goal. It makes you feel good. That's a, it's a, it gives you that awesome like accomplishment feeling and there's a reward in that. But say you achieved the same thing, but it wasn't necessarily a goal, like you're not going to feel that sense of accomplishment the same. So say, for example, you said, my goal this year is I'm going to read a book chapter every week and say you achieve that goal. At the end of the year, you're going to feel awesome for it and you're going to feel this, you know, it's going to increase your self-efficacy, your belief in your ability to achieve the task at hand. Now, compare that with the reading through the book and doing it, say, a chapter a month, but without necessarily setting out the goal to achieve that. It's just something that you did. Now, it's going to feel good. You know, you'll feel good for reading, but you're not necessarily going to have that same sense of achievement as when reading was a goal that you achieved. 
And the beauty about the sense of achievement or that reward is the reward system is actually really important for helping us build habits. Habits depend on reward learning. So when we have that sense of reward, it helps to reinforce the behavior and make us want to do it again. Yeah. No, no I, I completely agree with all that. I can't really add much more because it, it's, uh, I think, a really important point and something that people should be focusing on. Beautiful. Well, we are going to run through some evidence-based do's and don'ts of goal setting. And these go beyond SMART goals, which you know you may have heard of before. I call these tips goal essentials and goal pitfalls. So there are six goal essentials. They are in no particular order. I'm just going to list them and then I'll go through each one of them in a little bit more detail. So let's go. So they are, the list is the decision. We've got feedback or checking in with your progress, having intrinsic motivation, self-efficacy or that's the belief in our own ability to achieve the task, challenge, which we've touched on, and then counting the cost. All right, let's start with the decision. Do you know that the word decision comes from the Latin decidere, which means to cut off or to strike out all other options? So when we make a decision, it needs to be concrete. It can't be or I'd like to get fit this year, or I want to eat more fruits and vegetables. It has to be, I'm going to do this. And you have to be really firm in your decision to do that. Do you find that in your clinic, Ross, the people that make these firm decisions, people who are, I guess, really motivated to actually go after their goals, do you find that they're more successful generally than the people that are a bit like, no, I'm not really sure? Yeah, oh yeah. I've I've got two groups of patients in my practice. I've got people who follow my advice and people who don't. And the people who follow my advice and actually make a commitment to following that advice basically just become long term mates of mine. Nothing ever happens to them. The ones who can't or won't follow the advice they're given, can't or won't make goals about their health, whittle away bits of their heart to their premature death. It's a decision you make. A decision you make and and I say to people in, in my own practice. Life isn't about making the big decision to get healthier. Life's often about making 30, 40, 50 small decisions every day that take you towards good health. Decisions like, I won't eat that biscuit. I'll walk up the stairs rather than take the escalators. I won't, I won't yell at that fool who just cut in front of me in the traffic. Just those little decisions I, th- I find so important. But uh, again, they, that's a bit beyond setting goals. That, that's just those acute decisions you make every day of your life. Yeah, no, decisions, it's so important. And a decision really binds us to a course of action. It, it creates a commitment, which is really important. So that is the first, I guess, goal essential for when you're setting goals this year. The second one is feedback. You see, we need to see some kind of progress in relation to the pursuit of our goals in order for us to, you know, actually have sustainability in that progress. If you're, say, you're starting a habit of exercising and you don't actually feel any different, you're not getting the endorphins, your body's not changing, you're not sleeping any better, you're not feeling more fit, which, by the way, all those things would be impossible if you started exercising, not having that feedback isn't going to make you any motivated. Like, you're not going to be motivated to want to exercise again. Why would you? You're not seeing any results. You're not getting any feedback. Now, the trick with this, though, the tricky thing is, Sometimes the outcomes that we get from our our new behavior is a longer term thing. Let's take like flossing your teeth. 
you're not going to see the benefits straight away. You're probably actually never going to see the benefits. All you're going to hear is your dentist telling you what a good job you've been doing. And that's going to come around once every six months when you go to see your dentist. But there's not going to be a huge reward in it. So you have to just feel some sort of accomplishment. So the other thing that we can do with this, if our goal, that you, if you're not going to feel the reward straight away, is to check in with your progress. So I love habit trackers, and I've talked about habit trackers on this pod before, but a habit tracker, essentially, you write down the goal that you want to achieve, and then you tick off every time you've done the goal. And that gives us this beautiful sense of reward and accomplishment. And sometimes just doing the goal is actually enough reward. It's like, yes, I've set out to do something and I'm doing it and I'm proud of myself for that. So that's the feedback and that checking in with our progress. And, and on that, can I say, just to, to my own personal situation with this, I uh, played uh, sport, soccer and squash until I was about 52, having played sport from five up to 52. So it destroyed my right knee. So um, in, in my early 50s, I couldn't play soccer or squash anymore because my knee just wouldn't let me. So I had to replace that with another form of exercise. So I, I picked the exercise bike. And over the past 15, 16 years, I've broken four exercise bikes from overuse, which I do every day. But, but what I'm saying, the reason I'm not saying this to boast, I'm saying this because every day when I do those 30 minutes of exercise, I don't go, oh, you beauty, I'm sitting on the exercise bike, this is wonderful. But every time I finish, I do feel that sense of, of achievement that I've done the 30 minutes, 16 Ks in a half an hour at the highest highest resistance on the bike and you feel that sense of achievement having done that and now it's become such a habit speaking to the world habit expert it's become such a habit in my life that if i don't do it i i feel bad yeah oh i love that and i'm really glad that you said you broke the bike because i was i was i thought you were going to say like i broke my leg but no, thankfully no, no, it was I'm the actually, bikes they're replaceable legs still doing I, okay yeah, I, I have the same thing, Ross. You know, this morning, I, okay, I have had like the world's busiest month already yeah. with the launch of the book and there's been so much PR around it. Plus, the book launched in America and the UK as well as Australia. So, we've got three different time zones here. So, I'm getting up super early for interviews, working super late for more interviews. Yeah, can, and then can I all interrupt? Day long. Could, could, we, could you please tell us the name of the book? Yeah, it's called The Habit Revolution. The Habit Get Revolution by Dr. Gina Cleto. So That's it. You don't it's have a book. every store, every yep. airport, every bookshop. Get yourself an Audible, whatever you – Kindle, every kind. Anyway, every time. Absolutely. Thanks for the plug, Ross. Appreciate That's right. it. Shameless plug there. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> so this morning I got up and I had a Pilates class booked in and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm exhausted. I don't want to go. Now, this is my head because I'm – not physically exhausted. I was I'm mentally exhausted, but I'm good physically. And you know, the thing that motivated me is I remember last time I went to Pilates, which was only yesterday, I felt so good afterwards. And I knew that I've got quite a big day ahead. We've got this podcast and a whole bunch of other fun projects that we're working on together. And I knew that if I went to my Pilates class, I'd feel more energized. It would help with my mental health for the day. And it was a no-brainer for me to get up and go. And as soon as I landed on that, the reformer, I was like, I am so glad I'm here. And it's because we notice the rewards. We take a moment to acknowledge how good something felt when we did it. And clearly, you didn't feel too stretched by doing it. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> Ross, you are a classic. 
All right, I'm moving on to intrinsic motivation, which, you know, is something that I guess in a way we've been talking about, but motivation can be dichotomized into intrinsic or extrinsic. Intrinsic motivation is driven by our internal desires. It's our interests. It's because we enjoy doing something. We get a personal reward from it. Whereas extrinsic motivation is driven by things like uh, satisfying external demands, like having recognition or money or pleasing others or avoiding punishment. Now, both of them, both these intrinsic and extrinsic, they're still motivation. But intrinsic motivation, that internal one, isn't only essential for feeling motivated to achieve something, it's actually also essential for creating stronger intentions and more sustained changes in behavior. And research shows that if we're doing something for someone else or for those external reasons, we're likely to not sustain them for very long. We will only do things for other people for so long and then afterwards we'll fall back into our habits compared to if we really want to do something for ourselves, we're going to be much more driven to do it. What do you think about that, Ross? I think it's so important. I think we, we, we did speak about that when I spoke about my exercise. You're speaking about your Pilates. It's that sense of achievement when you know you're doing the right thing by your body, by your mind, by your emotions. And I, I think that's so important to have that intrinsic motivation because how you feel about yourself is probably the most important thing, not what other people think of you. If you don't feel you're doing the right thing by yourself, doing the right job, doing whatever, then you've got to change that. Yeah, so true. And I was, you know, I was chatting to a reporter yesterday and she said to me, you know, a lot of people might start the year with like a challenge and it might be, okay, I'm not going to have any alcohol for the month of January. And then what happens though is, as she was saying, is the research is showing that not many people are sticking to those challenges. And this was such an important conversation in this idea of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. It's like a challenge is the perfect example of this. We might be pulled into a challenge because a friend's doing it or because a family member's encouraged us to do it, or it's on social media and we want to be part of a community, which look, it's all great, but it's not necessarily going to be a sustainable action because do you really value it? Is it something that you truly care about? And so I think especially this time of year when there's so many like motivational challenges happening, do it because you care about it, not because you're pulled into it through any sort of social pressures. Yep. Very wise. Love it. All right. The next one is self-efficacy. Do you know, Ross, that self-efficacy, this blew my mind when I read this research. Self-efficacy is the belief in our own ability to achieve a task. And it is the number one predictor of success. The number one predictor of success. Meaning, when we believe in our ability to actually achieve something, we're so much more likely to achieve it than if we don't. Even if the goal is teeny tiny, if we don't think that we've really got what it takes, we're not likely to actually achieve it. And here's the bummer thing. I find with the diet industry, it has set such big goals and big ambitions for us. There's like huge restrictions, like cut out all carbs or cut out all whatever, right? And it's not sustainable. And so lots of people fall off the wagon of that. Of course they would. I mean, I can't stay on a diet for more than an hour. So what happens then is people lose self-efficacy. They're like, I can't do this. I haven't been able to achieve it. And that self-efficacy actually gets deteriorated the more we don't achieve goals. 
And there's this really horrible cycle that happens when we're trying to achieve something that's too big or too unrealistic. It's not just that we didn't achieve it. It's actually that we've impacted our self-efficacy, which is a really important thing to have when we're trying to achieve our goals. Right. Very wise. So then number five. Number five is challenge. So the challenge we touched on earlier, and that is a goal must be challenging, but attainable. You want to think of how you feel when you accomplish something that's challenging. You know, you feel a sense of huge achievement and satisfaction. You become proud of yourself. Challenging goals also increase our motivation because we can't just like coast our way into achieving them. We actually have to put in some skill or strategies or effort. And so it can be really inspiring. But if we make the challenge too high, then it becomes too challenging. For example, if it's beyond our skill level or our ability and we don't achieve it, then we get dissatisfied, frustrated, self-defeated. So really the challenge has to be at that sweet spot between, you know, not too demanding but not too easy either. Well, can I say I don't disagree with you, but I do live my life by the JFK quote that he stole from Michelangelo, which is the greatest crime is not to set your goals too high and never achieve them, but to set them low and achieve them. So that to me is the greatest crime. So it's what you're saying, you've got to set your goals high. No, I'm saying you've got to set your goals in the middle. You're not too high and not too low. No, no, but but high is not. No, no, no. I'm not saying saying unachievable, but I'm saying you still have to set significant goals for yourself rather than just saying, oh, near enough is good enough. I'll just do it low. Absolutely. And actually, when you say that near enough is good enough, again, the research shows that you have to have something more specific. You never want to say to someone, just do your best. Go on, Johnny, just do your best at the soccer game. It's it's not going to, I mean, maybe for children it can work. But when it's say you're working with employees or for yourself, because it's too subjective, it doesn't actually give someone a specific goal to work towards. And so it's not going to be very motivating. So we need to have challenging yet attainable goal. Now, the last thing, I love this one. It's counting the cost. Not many people speak about this, and I'm so glad that we can bring it up here because it's one of the most important tools that you will learn in the concepts of creating or changing our habits and setting goals. You see, setting a goal is one thing, but actually taking the necessary steps to achieve that goal is a whole other thing, right? What counting the cost involves is basically considering what it's going to actually take for you to achieve that goal. So I, for example, set a goal for myself a few years ago to get a better sleep routine. And for me to achieve that, I had to reduce my screen time. Actually, I cut out screen time an hour before bed, reduce my caffeine intake, alcohol intake, uh, be mindful of how late I socialized, reduce how much sugar I was having, especially in the afternoons, even though I love dark chocolate, but doesn't have too much sugar. Reduce dark chocolate because it has caffeine. Like so many things I had to change in my day. Plus I couldn't work too late. I had to really be mindful to stop work quite early. Otherwise my brain was still active. There's a list of things I had to sacrifice and change in order to get that better sleep routine. I remember writing all these things down and thinking, are these, is this worth it? Are all these sacrifices going to be worth getting a better night's sleep? For me, it was. It was an absolute no-brainer. But I have had other goals where I've thought, is the 4 a.m. wake up worth it? Or is 
this is going to be, and it's like, nah, it's not worth it. I want to achieve this goal, but I'm not actually willing to put in what it takes to, to get there. So counting the cost is sobering because it actually helps us to realize that every change we make in our life is going to come with some sort of sacrifice and the sacrifice has to be worth it. Well, you said uh, you had to cut out alcohol and that's very sobering in itself. But I do, I do, I do know. No, no, this is this is true. It, it's it's um, the walk down to my local hotel is five minutes away, but the walk mm-hmm. back is thirty five minutes. The difference is staggering. Sorry, oh my God, Ross. Sorry, <laughs> that's three jokes in one episode. Like you're just it's blowing our minds today. <laughs> now, those are the six goal essentials. So again, they're the decision feedback or checking in with your progress, having intrinsic motivation, self-efficacy, making that challenge nice in the middle, and then counting the cost. Now, in alignment with the six goal essentials, I think it's really valuable to reflect on them and then sort of cross-check with your goals so you can ask yourself, have I made a concrete decision to achieve this goal? How will I measure my progress? Am I intrinsically motivated? Do I wholeheartedly believe that I can and will achieve this goal? Is this goal challenging yet attainable? And what are the sacrifices I need to make? And are those sacrifices worth the outcome? And I think when we ask ourselves those questions, and I've done this with corporate clients before, when they've actually realized that this whole, you know, organizational restructure that they want to do isn't actually worth it. It's not actually something that they care deeply about. So it's really great to ask these things. Now, there are some goal pitfalls, but We are going to actually do a whole episode on the goal pitfalls. So that is going to be coming up. So stay tuned for that. And the goal pitfalls are essentially the things that we tend to do wrong when we're setting goals and why, you know, and how they contribute to us not sustaining our goals long term. All right. We've got a member question for the week. Ross, would you like to read that one out? Yeah. um, Before we wrap up today's episode, we're going to finish with this member question, which is from Jimmy. Jimmy says, I'm 40 years old, father of two. I hit the gym four to five days. It's better to just actually attend the gym. But I hit the gym four or five days a week, eat well most of the time. I've never had any health issues in the past, but now with a family to provide for and being 40, what sort of tests, checkup should I be getting to ensure that I'm I'm all good and have no issues or health issues or surprises? Well, look, uh, this is one for me to answer, really. Uh, the, The point is, it really depends on what other things are going on in your life, Jimmy. So, for for example, if you said to me, my dad had a bypass at 45, then I'd be saying you need very aggressive cardiovascular risk assessment. But if, if you're a, an otherwise healthy 40-year-old with not a, a horrendous family history of any diseases, the simple things to do at 40, go off to your general practitioner, ha- have a, a full checkup, get your blood pressure checked, have a, a fasting blood test where you have the simple things done like your cholesterol levels, triglyceride, HDL, LDL, blood sugar level, of course. And, and I think at age 40, it's a good idea to know what is your lipoprotein little a, which is the cause of one in five cases of heart disease. So you only need to have the test once. You either have it or you don't. And if you have it, there's stuff we can do about it. I can tell many stories about how I've been able to help people. Maybe that's the talk for another podcast, uh, but simple things like that. And and also at 40, if you don't have a strong family history of bowel cancer, prostate prostate cancer, any of those things, 
you probably don't need a lot of checkups in those departments. I think really the big test comes at about age 50, which is where you need a very intensive uh, assessment. So I think we, we need to start doing our bowel cancer screening, think about maybe having a colonoscopy. As I've said quite often, I think everyone deserves one colonoscopy at least once in their life. Some people I know should have one a week without the anesthetic, of course. Um, but but they're, they're the sort of simple things you do. You, you get obviously get your weight checked. There are all these things, your waist circumference, all these things done by your doctor. But there's not much else you need to do apart from think about practicing those five keys of being healthy as well, which are probably even more important than the assessments. So I'll just say them again. No addictions, good sleep, good eating and less of it, three to five hours of exercise, and most importantly, the thing called happiness. So that, that basically summarizes that one. Love it, Ross. Thank you so much for that answer. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode on Eat, Live and Move with Miyagi. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. And that is all from us. So thanks again. And we'll see you next week for more conversations with me, Gina, and my co-host, Dr. Ross Walker. Bye.